Uh, good morning, my name is Ed, and I'll be reading the Bible for us this morning. The first reading this morning is from Psalm 80. For the director of music, to the tunes of the lilies of the covenant, of Asaph, a psalm. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awake your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, and its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. And the second reading is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. Uh, this is Jesus continuing to speak to his disciples at the Last Supper. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Ian and I were talking about our phones going off just before the service. I once was conducting a wedding and when the father of the bride got up for that part of, you know, who gives this man or this woman? I'm sure someone was up the back and rang his phone at that most inappropriate time. Well, good morning everybody. Nice to be back. As we continue in looking at some of the great I Am passages in John. And this morning, I want us to look at I Am the Vine. And thinking about that, my mind goes back to growing up in Griffith in the Riverina. And one of the joys of uh, being in the heart of the Riverina and being a minister family was receiving the generosity from members of the congregation, uh, the fruit farmers they'd uh, bring in to uh, the minister and us, his families. As the seasons came and went, we would always have fresh fruit. We would have crates of oranges, boxes of stone fruit, but it is with the fondest memories that I look back to, always look forward to grape season. For one of the elders of the church had a vineyard and he would bring a basket of basket full of his best grapes for the minister's family each week of the season. And so as I look back and I looked at the true vine, I am the true vine, these memories came flooding back. And in sharing those memories with my father just before he died, he remarked how the elder, dear old Harold Hudson, loved showing people his vineyard. If you visited the vineyard in peak season, you would see rows upon rows and rows of lush green vines with bunches of grapes growing, waiting to be picked. But in the autumn, when the leaves have started to yellow, and the grapes had been picked, out would come the pruning knives. 
And in the winter, after a heavy pruning, all you would see was the main stem in the ground. The true vine, if you will. The real vine. And if you went in spring, you would see new buds, new vines come to life. Until once again in the summer, you would have lush green vines full of bunches of grapes. The imagery here is not hard for us to understand. No matter where you're from, there are vineyards in all parts of Australia. Uh, and you may even have a, a grapevine growing over your pergola or pagoda or however you say it, uh, in your backyard. Neither was it difficult for this imagery for the disciples to understand when Jesus spoke to them in John 15, 1 to 17. They would have understood the symbolism of the vine. For Israel had often been pictured under this figure of the vine. The noble vine, as Jeremiah called it. And as we read uh, in Psalm 80. So geographically, it describes the vine that was brought out of Egypt. This precious vine that God himself planted in this land of milk and honey. They would also understood that Israel had very often failed to yield its owner the fruit which he had a right to expect. More than once, Isaiah's words have been proved true. He looked for a good crop of grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And so Jesus takes this image to remind them of this parable of the wicked, uh, wicked tenants in Mark 12. And so there is this imagery set in the mind of the disciples, set in the mind of the people. And so then Jesus says, well, I am the true vine. I'm the genuine vine. It implies that Israel had been imperfect and only a foreshadowing of what was found to be perfection in himself. And so that brings me to the three things I hope we can learn from this passage this morning. That there is a divine relationship that we have with God and Jesus. There is a divine expectation that God has on us. And thirdly, there is a divine method that God uses for people like you and me. Now the first, the divine relationship, this imagery is somewhat difficult. And if we take the wrong path, it can lead us into deep water. For while we would not say that the living, living Jesus and the fellowship of believers is identical, because I don't think the Bible says that. But it does time and again, through the picture language that Jesus has used, I am the true vine. It shows that there is a close relationship between the vine and the branches. 
between the leaves and the stem and the fruit. So you have the, the vine and the branches. Where does one stop and the other begin? It's something which we can think seriously about. What is the reality of the church? And where is our place in that church? See, the Christian faith is more than just my relationship with God. It is that, yes it is. But it's also more than me just accepting Christ as my personal Saviour and Lord. It is that. But it's also my relationship with you and your relationship with each other. A relationship of love in the power of the Spirit of God. But it's even more than that. It's the relationship that we have with one another, that factor, that unknown factor, whereby we bear strength and are encouraged by one another. We are to build each other up. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in, to, in order to fulfill his good purpose. The your in that statement, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, in the Greek is a plural. It's almost like the American y'all. We need to work out together our salvation with fear and trembling. We are each other's supporters. We are the, the honing stone to each other. And we need to remember that. It's a total thing where we are in this relationship together. Yes, I have my individual responsibilities before God, but I have a responsibility to each and every one of you and you to me as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, to identify Christ exactly with the church is a dangerous extension of this powerful analogy. Christ is distinct from the church, but the church should be a powerful reality of the living Christ in the world. And having this divine relationship as we fellowship together, as we worship together, as we walk the walk together, we can see that it makes Christ the focus of our lives and it makes Christ the focus of our message to the world. Together with Christ, we make up the vine that he dares to call himself. I remember a long time ago, we had some uh, friends from Griffith uh, who were visiting us uh, in Epping when we were, oh, when I was pretty little. And we came up to the church, they wanted to see dad. 
uh, but Dad was getting ready for a service. He was in full gowns, the full Batman suit, and his office used to be in the back, that little back room, that was his office. And he came out of the office and rushed down here and the robes were flowing. And my friend said to me, oh, there goes God. <laughs> now we might smile at this, but where else would you expect to see God other than those who are the servants of God? Wouldn't you expect to see God amongst the people of God? Wouldn't you feel confident that you can move into the presence of God as we join the family of God? But the church is more than a, a club of like-minded people, even if their like-mindedness is towards God. It's more than the sum of the individuals. Somehow there is a dynamic dimension that such a close relationship with the living God that it shines in the people of God. The language that we use, the language that the Bible uses leads us almost to the point of identity between Christ and the church. Where does one stop and the other begin? And so it was. As Jesus and his disciples moved from the upper room, having partaken in what we now call the Last Supper, walking through Jerusalem, past the dominating temple and all that it symbolises, <clears throat> it's here that Jesus speaks the words, I am the real vine, you are the branches. That everyone who is in this loving relationship with me has the same life flowing through them, through their souls. It's incorporated into this love relationship of God into the divine community, into a divine relationship with God. We are friends of God. What do we see in the, in the kids' talk? He loved the world so much so that we can be with him forever. Jesus says in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. But instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I've made known to you. Sometimes that language, being a friend of God, a friend of Christ, seems old hat. But it is true in this context. So let me ask you this question. Are you a friend of God? Do you know his business? It's been preached to you, presented to you from kids' talks, for some, maybe 50, 60, 70 years. 
Are you a friend with God? So let's move from the divine relationship to the divine expectation. This second point is a lot easier. Years ago, when we were uh, raising our kids up in Wimmerley, uh, on the long weekend in June at the, one of the local schools, there was a fireworks display. They had rides and all the usual kind of sideshows, massive bonfire, and the night was topped off with a wonderful fireworks display. And my son, Matthew, always enjoyed it. He knew that the fireworks were in winter. And so when winter came around, as we'd drive from Springwood to Winmalee, as we came past the school, he'd always look out the window. He was waiting for the banner to be put up on the school gates that would tell them of the time. He was waiting for them with an expectation, for he knew something good was going to happen. He longed for winter because winter meant fireworks. And the fireworks meant a great time with his friends, the rides, the bonfire, everything. He had that expectation that something good was going to happen. And that he had a greater expectation of joy. And so in here, in verse 7, we have this divine expectation. Among the, the promised blessings of life linked with Jesus. He said, whatever you ask will be granted. Whatever you ask will be granted. But just like the ads on TV, conditions apply. Two of them, in fact. The first one, he said, abide in him. Abide in him with unwavering faith in him, with a complete commitment to him. Condition one. Condition two, that his words, his teachings, abide in them. So that their thought processes, their prayers, their very being was shaped by a complete dedication to him and by full loyalty to what he has taught them. He says, if you meet these two conditions, ask whatever you wish and it will be granted to you. We too can have this divine expectation if we comply with the conditions. And we also have the divine expectation, those of us with, that are such a, an integral part of the vine, that we should bear fruit. That's what God expects for you and me. God expects that there will be fruit, Christian fruit, not only in the individual life of the believer, but a fruit that can emerge out of a corporate life of fellowship 
which is so closely identified to the living Jesus. That is the church. God expects the church to bear fruit. Fruit that can be summed up with words like positive goodwill, active concern, a caring environment, loving projects, loving groups, wherein the spirit and the presence of Christ can be felt in the lives of those about us. We also read in this parable, apart from me, you can do nothing. My dad always put it in the positive. He said, with me, you can do all things. Think about that. With me, you can do all things. So never say anything is impossible. Now, we haven't time this morning to answer the questions of why isn't the the church achieving much in this society today? Why is this congregation not achieving as much as it could? Why isn't there more radiance from the church? But for you and for me, who make up this corporate body, which the Lord so closely identifies with, these questions maybe need to be discussed and worked on. For the Lord expects divine fruit out of the church. So how does this fruit come about? Well, let's have a look at the the last point, the divine method. He says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So that means along the way, for you and me, along the track, not only will there be the the mountaintop experiences, the resting by the cool waters, but there will be times of trial. There'll be times of challenge. There'll be times where the going is tough, where the hill is rough and steep and there is much to endure. One commentator said this, what a flabby, backboneless, unattractive creature man would be had he not had to face the difficult things in life. One cannot have courage if there is nothing to fear or unselfishness if there's more than enough for all. All that is noble in us has been hammered into us by the hard things we would try to eliminate and against which we angrily protest. This is God's way. Sometimes it's a way we don't fully understand. But through this, we emerge, as he tells us, to bear more fruit. That we become greater, more sympathetic, more Christ-like, because he dares to prune us. 
is a magnificent little book called Fear No, yeah, Fear no Evil, written by David Watson. It's a story of his fight with cancer. And the last page of the book he wrote just three weeks before he died. And it says this. God also showed me that any love for him meant nothing unless I was truly able to love from my heart my brother and sister in Christ. As the Lord put various names into my mind, I began to write letters to about 12 people asking forgiveness for hurting them, for still being angrily, inwardly angry with them. But listen to this. It was the most painful pruning and purging I can remember in my entire Christian life. But fruitful. Already some of the replies to my letters have reduced me to tears. Whatever else is happening to me physically, God is working deeply in my life. His challenge to me can be summed up in these three words. Seek my face. There are many things at times we don't understand of what's happening in our life. There are so many times of pruning that being hurt, but yet by the power of God at work in us, these things happen for a purpose. They happen that we might bear more fruit so to be disciples of Christ. But remember that you are knitted together in fellowship with Christ. Within this faith community, within this family of the church, we have this mystical union with Christ that he would call you brother or sister. And he would call you to be positively concerned with one another. Loving one another. That's what he said. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. And boy, doesn't this world need love right now. Love reflected in the power of Christ. That's the divine method, the divine expectation, the relationship. Where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word and what a challenge it is to us. To be your living church. To be attached to the true vine. To receive that power through the spirit that lives in us. Heavenly Father, if we're hurting from a recent pruning, then help us to grow and to heal and to mend. For those who are receiving that precious life sap, that we may grow and extend our branches, that we may flower and set fruit not for our own personal glory, but for your glory. Our oh, Heavenly Father, guide us and lead us 
water us, prune us, pick our fruit so that we may remain in the vine and forever be called your son or your daughter. Amen.